promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. There are a whole lot of people in politics and in the media whose purpose is to inflame your passions rather than to reason with you. My purpose is different. I've come to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on your judgment. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I always start with the numbers. A million legal immigrants to the United States every year for the last 40 years. Almost more than half a million, probably closer to three-quarter of a million, long-term temporary visa holders every year. In addition to that, an estimated 12 million undocumented workers in the United States today. We're really not sure what the real number is. And then there are the now... um, adult and still minor children of those 12 million who are living in limbo. Add to that 100,000 Central Americans storming the southern border in March and again in April and an estimated 132,000 in May, and it doesn't show many signs that it's slowing down. Say that in a different way. 1% of the population of Guatemala is rushing the United States southern border every month so far this year. 1% of their population per month. Probably another 50,000 global persons have overstayed their visitor visas to the U.S. or come from other countries trying to merge in with these migrants storming the southern border. Our immigration system is a mess. And the House of Representatives just passed something called the Dreamer and Protection Act, which is only likely to make the situation worse, both within the United States today and, yes, it's another magnet for storming the southern border. No immigration plan that does not start with at least trying to fix the current crisis on the southern border, which is a humanitarian crisis, as well as a question of national sovereignty. No plan that doesn't start to fix that, I mean, makes any sense, does it? Here to help us to answer that question and others is Mark Krikorian, a nationally recognized expert on immigration issues who has served as the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies since 1995. 
The Center, an independent, nonpartisan research organization in Washington, examines and critiques the impact of immigration on the United States. Animated by a pro-immigrant, low-immigration vision, which seeks fewer immigrants but a warmer welcome for those admitted, the center was established in 1985 to respond to the need for reliable, fact-based research in the immigration area. Mr. Krikorian's knowledge and expertise in the immigration field are sought by Congress as well as mainstream and new media. He frequently testifies before Congress and has published articles in numerous outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the New York Times, and elsewhere. He's a contributor at National Review Online and has appeared on all the major cable and broadcast networks. He's on Twitter at Mark S. Gregorian. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us again this morning. Glad to be here. Um, I can't tell you how honored I am to have you. And so once again, let's start with those numbers. For years, we've been told that the number of undocumented aliens that would be offered deferred action for childhood arrival under the Obama executive order was somewhere between 850,000, maybe a million, maybe a million two. Now they're saying maybe a million seven. Yeah, the um, number of people who got work permits through that through Obama's what is pretty clearly an illegal amnesty program, the DACA program, is 750 to 850,000. And the reason there's wiggle room there is some people didn't renew or dropped out or, or had it and, you know, and they don't have it anymore. So, but that's a relatively hard number. In other words, we actually have documentation about how many people there are because they got work permits. Mm-hmm. It's when you it's when the bills like the one the house just passed expand beyond that that it gets fuzzy the uh number of people who could have applied but didn't or might qualify that's where the higher number there comes from maybe twice the size maybe a million and a half 1.7 million but the bill that the senate that the house passed the democrats in the house passed goes beyond that which the president already agreed to, um, as long as there were other measures to fix immigration enforcement problems as, as part of the package, which this bill does not have any of that, it's just straight amnesty. Yeah, I know. There are no trade-offs here. Nothing. No trade-offs at all. And the amnesty is beyond just the DACA. It includes all the people who got what is uh, laughably called temporary protected status, which is uh, just like it sounds, for people, illegal immigrants, almost all of them, who are here in our country when some kind of disaster happens back home that makes us unwilling to send them back. You know, an earthquake, a hurricane that wipes out things, that sort of thing. Well, there are hundreds of thousands, probably 400,000 or more people with that status who are here, and we just end up renewing it every 18 months. And this isn't something, you know, this is something that's been going on for years. So there's nothing temporary about it. But that temporary status comes with work permit, does it not? Work permits, social security numbers, driver's license. It's it's an amnesty. It's just amnesty light instead of amnesty premium, if you want to think about it that way. So (laughs) it it doesn't lead to 
a uh, green card and citizenship. But, you know, for most people from abroad, especially those who are here illegally, a work permit is perfectly fine. That's all they really want, because then you can get a bank account, you can get a job, you can, you know, rent or buy a house or whatever it is. The point is, you can live a more or less normal life. You just wouldn't be able to vote, and how many people who have citizenship even bother to vote? You know what I mean? So yeah. it is basically all the amnesty illegal immigrants need, and there's nothing temporary about it. And this bill is proof that there's nothing temporary about it. Well, and but again, again, just the last point is, I'm actually okay with amnestying people with this phony temporary status as long as we change the law so we don't give more of these phony temporary statuses to people in the future that everybody understands are not really temporary. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, we, we, are, we are at the point where, you know, the, with the Cubans, it used to be wet foot, dry foot. If you right. got your, your foot on the U.S. soil, you could stay. Uh, so they would try to interdict them at sea. Um, in, in this case, it, it is no matter where you come from, um, if you can get to surrendering to the Border Patrol, you're here. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the basic, and that's the core problem with this border uh, emergency, is that we are, in effect, applying wet foot, dry foot policy to literally every country in the world. Yes. Um, and, the, you know, these people, they apply for asylum, and then they're let go into the United States, and they get uh, an asylum determination eventually. It may take a while. They almost all get turned down. And then what? Then nothing. Yes. Um, then they just stay. And this is what the president was tweeting about um, last week when he said, you know, we're going to be deporting millions of illegal immigrants. I mean, the millions thing is baloney. That's just the president's, that's the way he talks. But what he was talking about was that ICE is actually going to be launching an operation at some point soon where they actually are going to go look for some of these families that came across, made a bogus asylum claim, had all of their due process, and then um, when they were turned down, just ignored the deportation order. You know, they have, there's, there's literally no downside for them, at least hasn't been up to now. And so what ICE is saying is, look, you know, we're gonna, we are going to change our priorities somewhat to take the time, because it's time-consuming, to find some of these people and send them home as a message to those who are still back in Guatemala and Honduras, that this is not something you're going to be able to get away with. And that's an important message. It is an important message. But speaking of messages, hold that thought because we have to go <laughs> listen to some messages. We'll be back in just a moment with Mark to talk more about why the ICE enforcement of immigration deportation orders is important. Back in a moment with more Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with Mark Krikorian from the Center for Immigration Studies. And as we went to break, Mark was pointing out that the president's tweet this week about ICE enforcement of deportation orders was part was in 
at least in part, to send a message of caution to those still in Guatemala or Honduras or India or wherever? Yeah, the, uh, you know, the reason this flow is continuing and accelerating is that people are successfully getting to the United States and joining their relatives or whoever it is that's, uh, that's here. And only when that changes, in other words, when people spend all that money and completely fail and are sent back, will future or prospective illegal border crossers in Guatemala and Honduras um, get the message that this isn't an easy thing to do. I mean, when this first really got into the news was back in 2014, Obama started it with the DACA thing in 2012. That's what actually kicked off this flow of people. 2014, it became big enough that even the even our news media had no choice but to report on it. And I sent a crew down there uh, one of my guys, he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter, has lived in Mexico, speaks Spanish fluently. He was talking to people at the bus station in McAllen, Texas, that the Border Patrol had processed and let go. These were, uh, it was a couple of moms from Guatemala with a kid or two each, and they were just let go. I'm sure they're still here. They probably have another kid or two uh, born here. And he said, you know, what, what made you come? What, what was the reason for this? And what she said is, well, back home in Guatemala, we were watching CNN. I'm seriously, they're watching CNN in Guatemala, and we heard that people who bring kids with them are let in. And then somebody from our town actually did that and, you know, called back and said they were let go and they're working now. And so we figured, what the heck, let's, take it. let's go and do it ourselves. Only by changing that message, sending a different message, which is, look at all these people you just, you knew, and they are now climbing off the airplane, having lost all of their money, and failed, and so don't do the same thing, you know, don't take the same chance yourself. Only when we can send that message are things going to slow down significantly at the border, and we can do that. We just have to be willing to have some news pictures of uh, kids being arrested. Now, they're not going to be separated from their families, but um, because the whole point is to deport them all together, but, um, you know, just bringing a kid with you doesn't mean you automatically get to stay forever in the United States and that you're exempt from immigration law. That is not a message we can send because it's not just Central America that's watching this on CNN. Mm-hmm. We're now getting a significant flow of people from Central Africa bringing kids with them. They're smuggled, they fly into Ecuador, which has no visa requirements, and then they take the bus or walk or various things from Ecuador all the way up through Central America, Mexico, and they show up at the border. And you're going to see more and more and more of this. We're seeing Bangladeshi supposed minors, you know, uh, under 18, although a lot of them aren't, um, taking advantage of this. And, you know, every country in the world is going to start taking advantage of this. Yeah, there was an incident where, um, um, you know, the screaming and yelling about a child dying in Border Patrol custody um, and, and she was from seven-year-old from India. Right. Exactly. Unaccompanied. Yep. Well, I mean, hadn't been unaccompanied because there are no unaccompanied minors. That's a lie. They're all um, brought by smugglers yes. and then taken to the border and told to cross and go and wave down a border patrol. But you're right. I mean, somebody had to pay the smuggler to bring that kid, you know, thousands of miles here, 
uh, and then, you know, point her across the border to go and find a Border Patrol agent. And whoever paid that, which is almost certainly her parents, is responsible for that poor girl's death. I mean, you know, Border Patrol isn't killing children. The Border Patrol is trying to clean up the mess of these smugglers and these irresponsible parents who are abusing uh, their own children. Well, more than abusing their own children, um, there was, uh, you know, there have been some discussions. um, uh, Dan Crenshaw, the new Republican congressman from Texas, uh, from the Houston area, has pointed to gangs in, in Houston where they recycle kids to help get people across the border. And even um, Jennifer Garner, who's on the board of Save the Children, was in, in uh, Deming, New Mexico this week uh, at, with an NBC News crew looking at this new um, uh, pop-up uh, migrant center you know, to help these people get into the United States. Um, and, and one of the comments that she made was that there are a, there's a ring of about 5,000 children who have been continuously recycled to get people across the border. And sure, there's all, there's all kinds of abuses like this are going to take place. Uh, you know, most of the kids people are bringing are their own kids, but there's widespread abuses because essentially our ridiculous immigration rules, which the Democrats refuse to change, turn children into a valuable commodity, a kind of passport to be released into the U.S. even if you're an illegal alien. And when something is, you know, valuable, people are going to uh, exploit it one way or another. One of the more common ways, I mean, there is this recycling, there's no question about it, but one of the more common things that happens is, say, a mom from Guatemala will have two kids with her, and she will basically for a discount on her smuggling fee, lend one of the kids to some stranger who doesn't have a kid with him so that he can say, this is my kid, and you have to have the fake papers and stuff. The smugglers arrange that. And then hope that once they get across the border, that guy returns your kid. I mean, it's just unbelievably irresponsible. And yet, you know, in the law they call our, what you would call our asylum system, our border, an attractive nuisance. It's, you know, that this is the concept is, um, you know, a swimming pool. You have to put a fence around your swimming pool. You're legally required to. Because if not, if some kid falls in and drowns, it's your fault because you had this danger that you left unprotected. Well, our border being unprotected is basically an attractive nuisance where people are taking, are, are taking actions that threaten not just themselves, but their own children. And they're responsible for their irresponsible behavior, but frankly, we're responsible for having a law that encourages it. And the Democrats refuse to make any changes uh, to the magnet that incentivizes people to exploit their kids like this. Well, I think the Dreamer and Protection Act only makes the magnet bigger. Oh, I mean, how could it not? Absolutely it does. Um, you know, I mean, there there were actually some rational requirements in the Obama DACA um, uh, executive order that the Democrats in their wokeness have now completely eliminated from the um, Dreamer and Protection Act. And, you know, we're going to take a look at that. 
with Mark um, after we take a quick commercial break. Now, back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with Mark Krikorian from the Center for Immigration Studies. And when we went to break, we were just talking about how the the Dreamer and Protection Act uh, just quadrupled the size of the magnet that was begun with the Obama executive order on deferred childhood arrivals. You know, Mark, that first Obama Act sounds absolutely conservative compared to what the Democrats in the House of Representatives um, passed this week. It- um, yeah, I mean, it basically, I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of hard to describe Obama's version as, uh, you know, as responsible, since it was basically illegal and sparked the current border surge. But compared to the um, bill that the House Democrats just passed, it actually is less, let me put it this way, it's less irresponsible. Because, look, the point of this dreamer part, or DACA, is that kids who grow up here should, uh, you know, not be made to go back, even if their parents brought them here illegally. And there's a germ of truth to that. I'm actually for that. Um, the problem is that um, the how do you define, you know, a kid or someone, how do you define when, how somebody grew up here? How old do they have to be when they got here? Somebody who comes here when they're five, six, seven, something like that, and went to school here and has now graduated high school and all that, well, you know, that's a pretty good case to make. I'm actually okay with amnestying somebody like that. Somebody who came here at age 15, as Obama's um, thing would do, um, the, uh, that person really hasn't, you know, grown up here. And the new version, the bill the House just passed, expands it all the way up to before your 18th birthday. So some 17-year-old who comes here, person obviously has not grown up here. If they come here at 17, it's absurd. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and another critical difference was that the Obama executive order is, was two years at a time renewable and required that you either be in school or have completely had to have a GED or a high school diploma or be a you know a college student or whatever or or have three years of work history and no criminal no criminal history no gang affiliation nothing and it offered no path toward citizenship and all of those strictures those that look quite conservative compared to the Dreamer and Protection Act are wiped away in this oh, yeah, new yeah. legislation. I mean- Absolutely. I mean, the whole point of this new bill that the House Democrats recently passed was to give green cards and eventually citizenship to all of these people. That was that's that's the point. Do we call um, this stuffing the ballot box? Yeah, maybe. Um, arguably, I think it's a. Um, I don't think that's the main goal, but they clearly see that as a uh, you know as a benefit, a, a sort of a fringe benefit of doing this. And the language, the bill does contain some language about. You know, this is going to be tough and no gang members. And then when you go about 30 pages further into the bill, then you see that all of those tough limits are then basically completely negated. You know, so it's one of these, it's a bait and switch kind of thing. It's a bill that in some respects tries to look tough and then guts 
I mean, it's not even all that tough. But even the parts of it, let me put it this way, that look tough are gutted. For instance, the gang thing. It says gang members can't, um, get, can't benefit from this. And then later on in the bill, somewhere totally different, it says that um, you can't base whether someone is uh, a gang member based on any database that a state or federal government uses or any other law enforcement information. So how the heck are you supposed to know if they're a gang member? You find, the them with, they, you find them with the smoking gun in their hand? I guess. Or they come up and they say, hi, yeah, I'm the representative of MS-13 here yeah. in your town. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can I get a green card? Oh, no, sorry. You, 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 know, you don't qualify. I mean, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. This is the kind of game that um, you know, gets played in immigration all the time. Uh, it, it's absurd. Um, and, and by the way, if you get, and, and the same thing is true with the GED in progress, your education, you can keep failing your GED and keep reapplying under the new act. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In other words, it's, there's no, uh, you have to, when you apply, you have to be in the process of doing this. And if you fail later, it doesn't, there's, it's not clear that there's any examination of, you know, you're having not gotten your degree. It's just, the, in other words, you just have to be in the process when you file the paperwork, and after that, nobody particularly cares. And that's kind of what this is about. This is about amnestying as many illegal immigrants as they think they can get away with. Well, there is literally no possibility that this bill will ever see the light of day in the United States Senate. I hope so. Um, well, but, you know, I mean, uh, the uh, Lindsey Graham, remember, one of the gang of eight who pushed uh, that big amnesty bill back in 2013, has teamed up with Dick Durbin, the Democratic senator from Illinois, who was also in the gang of eight, to come up with a asylum bill, you know, to deal with the asylum crisis that the Democrats until five minutes ago said didn't even exist, uh, you know, at the border. And my fear is they're just going to tack either all or part of this bill onto um, their, um, their asylum bill and say, look, it's imperative we fix this problem at the border and why don't we kill two birds with one stone and what have you. I mean, um, so I think, I mean, I agree it's unlikely this is going to actually reach the president's desk and be signed, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I don't think that's 100% sure, uh, especially considering the personalities in the Senate that are pushing this stuff. Well, Lindsey Graham is facing a fairly um, interesting um, primary, cha- you know, primary in South Carolina, which will curtail his Lindsey Gomez Im- Im- impulses. Maybe, but you know, that's every six years people say that, and it's never had the slightest effect on his. Uh, you know, his performance, either in the primaries or the general election. So I, you know, I mean, I wish there were a strong, single, unified, capable primary challenger for Lindsey Graham, but it's never happened yet. Oh, there's and, a Democrat. Um, there is going to be a Democrat in the general this year who looks reasonably maybe. potent. Um, yeah. So it could be kind of interesting. Uh, so I don't think he'll go too far on a limb, but what he said after a meeting with uh, Jared Kushner yesterday, which should tell us that um, the White House is certainly involved in this, is that they want to change the asylum criteria. And I, and I want to get your opinion on that, along with longer detention periods, 
um, additional border security agents and tools, and of course the wall that we all know will not stop this. Um, and for that, he would be prepared to trade more foreign aid to Central America, which is certainly a component in fixing the problem, um, and to your fears, a compromise on DACA. Now, I don't think that Lindsey Graham is going anywhere near the idea of um, of amnesty for MS-13 members. But I could see a situation in which he might say, oh, these poor Haitians, you know, the country's still in terrible shape. Why don't we, you know, amnesty them instead of retaining their temporary protected status? What do you Maybe. think? Um, uh, I mean, is know, that rational? I guess, uh, but... but I mean, go ahead. Spe- specifically, um, if you're talking about, say, this temporary protected status for Haitians, Salvadorans are the biggest group, and then Haitians and a few others, um, I'm happy to amnesty those people, but there have to be fundamental changes to the law that enabled them to get that temporary status in the first place. And nobody who's pushing this is even willing to entertain the idea of fixing the TPS uh, statute. Okay, TPS, so... TPS, the initial for it. So if you're doing that, all that means is the next president, you know, say Kamala Harris as president, will just give TPS out right and left with the knowledge that all those people will eventually get green cards, too. Um, yes. And, and when we come back from, from break, let's focus for just a moment on what really is contained. What are the criteria for TPS? And right now, what are the criteria for asylum? And how could we modify those criteria in a way that is consistent with American humanitarian values? that would at the same time give us a higher degree of sovereignty. And we'll be back in just a moment after a couple of commercial messages. Back in a moment with more Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with Mark Gregorian from the Center of, um, for Immigration Studies. And as we went to break, we were talking about asylum criteria and TPS. And, you know, Mark, I imagine that most people really don't know what those criteria are. And beyond that, what we could do that would modify them, that would make them more effective, that would help to retain our national sovereignty, at least to a degree. Sure. Um, asylum is uh, the law on this dates from 1951, after World War II. We signed that treaty in '67, um, and the law, the U.S. version of the law, was passed by Congress in 1980. So it's the 1980 Refugee Act, and what it says is that you can get asylum even if you're an illegal alien sneaking into the country, if you can show that you've been persecuted personally, based on several different criteria, your race, your religion, your nationality, your political opinion, those four are pretty obvious. You know, somebody fleeing uh, anti-Jewish pogroms or a political activist who's, you know, been jailed by the government and escaped, whatever it is, those are, those are four bases of asylum that everybody pretty much gets pretty clear-cut. 
The fifth one is the one that I think we need to eliminate from our law, even though it's in the U.N. treaty. And that says you can get asylum based on, and this is a quote, membership in a particular social group. And basically that means anything a judge wants it to mean. I mean, literally, it is as um, Justice Alito, uh, now on the Supreme Court, but when he was still a judge, he actually said, you know, that doesn't, the law doesn't really tell us much there because um, there, he's, here it is, uh, quote, virtually any set, including more than one person, could be described as a particular social group. And that's exactly correct. And so we've had judges, obviously the lawyers for the illegal immigrants make stuff up and then the judges, you know, essentially collude with them to, um, I mean, honestly, break the law. I think that's not an exaggeration. So they'll say, look, my client is a member of a particular social group, which is, you know, women whose husbands mistreat them and who have friends in the government or blah, blah. I mean, they make up this stuff. Uh, it's like gerrymandering almost in congressional districts, except it's the same version for immigration law. They make up these phony baloney social groups that don't exist. And then judges collaborate with them and say, okay, we're going to give you amnesty, uh, asylum based on this. So we've got to get rid of that. That's the one big change we need to make in asylum law. The second one, there's two of them I'd really highlight. And that relates to the way we put people into the asylum pipeline. Because when you come across the border, you see some of these guys, they, they'll turn themselves into the Border Patrol. I fear being returned to my home country. I want asylum. You know, mm -hmm. they're reading the script that somebody gave them. The first cut is something called the credible fear interview. So they're basically, that's not asylum yet. That's just, are these people saying that Mickey Mouse is talking to them through their dental work, or are they, do they have some kind of plausible case to make? The standards in the law for that first cut to get into the asylum pipeline are so low that almost everybody passes, even though almost everybody is turned down at the end to get asylum. So that bar needs to be raised. It needs to be made much harder to pass the first hurdle before you get put into the immigration court system. Well, see, when I look at it from business person's point of view, I would say that there are probably five main reasons that people give for this credible fear. And if 80% or 90% of the time that results in a judge saying, nah, it's not really a claim, a valid claim for asylum, that we could change the law to say these things don't qualify unless. Oh, oh absolutely. I mean, the um, that's something the uh, Attorney General or former Attorney General Sessions uh, actually did. and uh, They were giving asylum to people based on a general fear of crime in their home country or domestic abuse. Uh, and, you know, these are all bad things, but they have nothing to do with asylum. And so he's tried to tighten that up, but it doesn't seem to have made that much difference. Part of the reason is that the people in the field who do this asylum work are basically social workers, most of them. In other words, they see their job as giving asylum to as many people as possible. That's their mission. Uh, I mean, I've, you know, uh, we had on, our, uh, on a panel discussion we hosted several years ago, the head of the Asylum Corps, and he actually had been a social worker before he entered the government. So um, the proper, part of the problem is that people doing the work 
are biased toward letting everybody stay and just believing whatever phony baloney story people come up with. Um, but also, the problem is that the standard there for when they have to okay a credible fear claim is so low that they need to raise it to make it something like more li- that the person is more likely than not to get asylum. In other words, make it harder so that most of the people who make that first cut actually make the second cut. That should be our goal, and that is not the way it works now. And, and so when we actually talk about the administrative law courts, what percentage, and I'm sure you can't be exact, but you know you have a feel for it, what percentage of those credible fear claims actually end up as asylum grants? Uh, well, that's that's an interesting question because let's so the credit people make this credible this claim their fee, claim of fear is judged credible and they pass that first hurdle. That's something at least three quarters, if not more. It used to be way more. It used to be almost ninety percent. So it's a little bit down under Trump, which is good, but it can't go much lower than this. So it's seventy five percent of them are let go into the country to go and pursue an asylum claim. Half of those people never bother to even apply for asylum. The whole thing was just a ruse to get past the Border Patrol, get on a bus, and go join their family members. Of the half who do bother to apply for asylum, more than 80% are turned down. And of those who are turned down, they get a final order of removal. It's what's called a deportation order. None of them go back. None of them leave. None of them are taken into custody. And so whether you do or don't get asylum actually doesn't make any difference except in the piece of paper you have in your hand. Well, so that takes us back to ICE enforcement of those orders, because it it appears that if you get an order of, you know, if, if you lose your your case, you can then appeal it and appeal it before you get a final order. So this can take years. And then you end up with the intervening, oh, now we have a mixed family because there is a U.S. national in that family. And as you and I were talking during the break, that creates a media circus. It does. There's no question about it. Um, the, what, the, what ICE is aiming to do in the next week or two is the people they're targeting are people that they put in what they kind of colloquially call the rocket docket. In other words, a quick adjudication of their asylum claim. And the reason that can be quick is that most of those people don't have lawyers. Because you have the right to a lawyer if you're an asylum claimant, but you have to pay for it yourself. The government specifically says in the law there cannot be any government funding for immigration lawyers trying to prevent the law from being enforced. So what they did is they've got several thousand people who have final orders of removal. They, haven't, they have no grounds to appeal. They haven't appealed. Those are the ones that they're going to try to target and get out of the country in order to send this message. But you're right. Anytime an immigration lawyer gets involved, their goal at this point is to prevent immigration laws from being enforced. I mean, that is the goal. You know, the unofficial motto of the immigration bar is, it ain't over till the alien wins. And and, uh, and I think the point is most of them don't have lawyers. Is my yeah. point. And and the and the media is the willing handmaiden of those lawyers. Of course, I mean it's all the same thing with the sob stories. 
planted by the activists. Of course, they're all, you know, in cahoots on this. Uh, you know, a few years, not a few years, but a few months back, there was this pizza delivery guy in New York who uh, was taken into custody because he was delivering pizza to an army base and he didn't have, you know, the right ID they needed to be let in because the security at an army base is pretty tough. So he ended up finding out that he was an illegal alien. ICE came and arrested the guy. The New York Times spent days talking about his, you know, wonderful children and all of this kind of stuff, except that he came in on a visa and then just never left. He was ordered deported before he ever got married or had kids. And he just basically blew all he had complete contempt for the law. And somehow that's supposed to mean just because he had some kids that he's exempt from the consequences of his illegal actions. And you're right that the media just, you know, eats that stuff up, working hand in glove with the immigration lawyers and the activist groups. And we're going to go take a quick break. And then I have a closing thought for Mark about what's the overall legal message, lawful message that we are sending with this entire immigration situation. You're listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagine America will continue in just a moment. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with Mark Gregorian from the Center for Immigration Studies. And we have just a couple minutes for some closing thoughts. And one of the things that Mark, you and I talked about off offline is what is the implication, the social overall social implication of selective law enforcement and and people being able to say, well, it's okay for me not to obey a law that I disagree with. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this gets to the core of the problem with mass-tolerated illegal immigration is that it erodes the very concept of the rule of law. Now, you know, not every person who breaks the law is always going to be punished for it. You know, most people who speed don't get away with it. There are always people who are going to cheat on their taxes, for instance, who manage to get away with it. But the responsible authorities never say in those instances, it's okay to speed, or you can cheat on your taxes as long as you're not a money laundering drug dealer, we're not going to bother with you. And yet in immigration, that's what we see. It's not that every illegal alien is going to be arrested and deported. That's never going to happen. It's not practically doable. It's not prudent even. But what we saw under Obama and what we are hearing now even more nakedly from the left is that no one who is an illegal immigrant should ever be deported unless they are, you know, a rapist or a murderer. I mean, Hillary Clinton herself actually said that. On, you know, on TV, was pressed on it, that no one should ever, be allowed, ever have to face the consequences of breaking immigration laws unless they break other real laws, basically. She didn't say real, but that's what she meant. In other words, if you're a rapist, you're a murderer, a terrorist, then we'll use your immigration problems 
to get you out of the country if necessary. But isn't but, isn't but if the, you're not, we're not going to do it. But isn't the reality that it's a slippery slope? If if you violate immigration law and you get away with it, what else do you not have to comply with? Yeah, that's a good point. Now, it's most illegal immigrants obviously are not going to be, you know, they're not stealing, they're not uh, knifing people or any of that kind of stuff. But if your if your first act is is in the United States is breaking immigration law, then you know it's not that big a deal to steal someone's identity, to commit ID fraud, to commit tax fraud, um, to violate you know uh, zoning and occupancy rules, to drive without a license, to not have insurance. All of that stuff isn't all that big a deal. It's not the in other words for you. It's not so much that you're going to become a violent criminal. It's that you are going to feel much freer to ignore all of the um, all of the rules that relate to public order and quality of life, uh, like you know ID, identity theft, and tax fraud, and all the rest of it, because uh, you know eh, that's not that's not really law. I got away with this other stuff, so um, you know I'll be able to get away with the rest of it, and you know that's a kind of third world approach where laws don't really matter and it's a government of men and a government of you know who is able to pay off whom and who is politically connected and who isn't rather than what we aspire to which is a government based on objective rules that everybody has to follow so blind justice slowly but surely becomes eroded and unfortunately Unfortunately, we are out of time. And Mark, I'll look forward to another conversation soon. Thank you so much for your time um, and, and for teaching us so much today. Glad to be here. Mark Gregorian from the Center for Immigration Studies. And you can listen to this and any previous Reimagine America Radio Hour as a podcast at ricochet.com. We hope that many of you will become regular listeners at Ricochet as we explore a variety of topics in depth, in addition to our regular radio programming. Next week, Dr. Robbie Pearl, the author of Why You Think You're Getting Great Health Care But You Really Aren't, will be here to talk about the various health care proposals from the Democrats after their debate in Florida. If you've got a comment or a topic you'd like me to cover, send me an email at Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or a tweet at Joyce Cordy, all one word, all lowercase. And to learn more about ideas on how to reform our immigration system, go to reimagineamerica.org and do a search on immigration. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word, and you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.